Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. This is uh, Silmarillion Part 7, Part 7 of 11. Today, we are covering just one chapter. This is Chapter 19 of Baron and Luthien. Now, the purpose of this read-along, again, is not to turn us all into Tolkien scholars, but simply to have some fun with a notoriously difficult book, although this chapter is, I think it's fair to say, an exception to that rule. Um, all right. If you're not subscribed to the show, you can do so at thelegendarium.com, where you can also check out our Patreon link, go to Discord. Uh, you'll find the link there at thelegendarium.com. Join in the conversation. We would love to hear from you. I am your host, Craig Hanks. And over there, uh, let's see, Baron and Luthien, you know, they went through a lot, but they never had to spend an hour with this guy. It's Ryan Bruckman. Why can't you just love me? <laughs> and if, if Iru made only one mistake, it was allowing him to speak more than three times in his entire life. It's Kyle Lemon. <laughs> hey, you can't take my trick. <laughs> That's my trick. <laughs> Sorry, man. All right. So, hey, guys, welcome back. Uh, Baron and Luthien. Uh, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. Before we get into Baron and Luthien, the other piece of housekeeping that I keep forgetting um, is to remind everybody to go to uh, Portland at, at the end of May. So May 28th in Portland, we will be there. Ryan and I, Stephanie will be there. Mm -hmm. I, I think maybe Ken as well. We need to double check with him. Uh, but if you are in, if you can be in Portland, Oregon on the 28th of May, we would love to see you at um, what we are uh, overly grandiosely calling Legendarium Con. Mm. Um, but it, it is going to be a really good time. I can guarantee you that. It's a long con. It's, definitely. It is not. <laughs> Shh. Shh. Don't, don't, don't blow this for this, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay. Now, with that out of the way, let's talk Baron and Luthien. Um, the, the recap, I, you know, I sat down to do a recap for this one and I, the story is so um, wide ranging mm -hmm. that I, you know, I could have done it in three paragraphs, but at a certain point I was just like, you know what? No, we just need to talk about the story and all the twists and turns it goes through. So I'll just say, look, we're assuming you've read this story. We're assuming, you know, um, you know, m maybe not know it inside and out, but you know, the beats of the story. And so I'm not going to go ahead and re recap the whole thing. I'll just say, yeah, it's about Baron who wanders into Thingol's realm meets Thingol's daughter, Luthien, um, they fall desperately in love, much like Thingol and Melian did uh, back in the beginning of this book. Um, and then uh, he is considered unworthy of Thingol's daughter. And so Thingol uh, tells Baron to go on a quest for a Silmaril. Baron goes, fails a couple times. Luthien bails him out. They get the Silmaril together. Um, there's death. There's love. There's happily ever after. There's your there's your recap, Ryan. How do you feel about it? Uh very accurate to what I read. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. So yeah, there's our there's our uh, week recap for today. But I I am kind of skipping over that because I wanted to get right to you guys and say I have been excited for this chapter for a while. Uh, this is part seven of eleven, and so over half of our read through has been. I feel like in a way. I mean, it, it's delightful in its own way. But a lot of it feels like setup for a few of the stories that are about to come. Mm -hmm. And this is the first of those. Um, did you guys feel like, hey, I'm, you know, this is payoff? Uh, mm -hmm. Was it was it more interesting, fun, uh, you know, whatever adjective you want uh, than previous chapters? Yes. All three of those. Interesting, fun, and whatever. <laughs> and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, it's... 
it was nice to spend some time in what felt more like a narrative than the rest. Like we, we've talked about several chapters feeling like this is a history or a genealogy or whatever. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and we actually get some real action and narrative and, and characters that we can sit with for a while. Um, and just a lot of really cool, like you were saying in the, in the intro twists and turns and intro, like just, introducing new elements and like you've got your giant wolfhound and you've got uh people being held captive and you've got like you said one of the main players that dies and uh so yeah i mean it was it was a lot more exciting for me yeah ryan you have read this one before Mm -hmm. we did uh baron and luthien kind of on its own you'd maybe read a chapter or two that that I'd introduced you to before, but never with this kind of context, all the way right. from the beginning to here. Did that change the way you uh, perceived it? It certainly gave me uh, more context uh, to work from, to understand the buildup of what's here, especially in terms of the relationship of men and elves mm. uh, and why Baron uh, would not be deemed worthy initially, but why he's also got some elves in his corner like yeah no he's this is barren and he's definitely like he's awesome um so yeah it definitely gave me better context in there as i was reading through this this time this felt like the if i had to pull a story that we've read out and say this is like this is the one story that you need to read out of the silmarillion Mm -hmm. like right now this is the story i would have someone read like if you want a good concept here you go baron luthien it's not going to give you a good feel for the rest of the book but it's going to give you a a really enjoyable read. Um, yeah. Out of it, so. one, one of the things I like about um, it, just kind of building on that, one of the things I liked about reading it this time was kind of understanding uh, or, or seeing something else than I usually do in the way that it fits within the rest of the narrative. Um, one of the things I liked about reading it this time is that the story doesn't begin with Baron meeting Luthien. Mm-hmm. The story kind of it begins in the previous chapter where you have to understand what was happening with um, Barahir and his outlaws and where they were stuck so that you kind of get the context of where Baron was and like the whole the whole crew gets killed except for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I guess, and then you get to the end of the chapter and the story ends, but I don't know if you guys read ahead at all, but the beginning of the next chapter is the end of the story of Baron and Luthien. It, and what this does, and I really appreciated it this time around, was that it sets it not apart, but not apart from, but within the rest of the Silmarillion. And it, it reminded me of a Sam's concept in the Lord of the Rings of, um, you know, we're all just part of one great story. Mm-hmm. Isn't it kind of cool to think about, Mr. Frodo? You and I are just part of the same story. And I think he actually, if if I remember right, it was he was talking about Baron and Luthien or it might have been Gondolin, which we'll get to. I, I can't remember. But anyway, but his point was, yeah, we're all just part of one great story. And that hit me uh, pretty well here where it's like, this is, it's woven somewhat seamlessly into the narrative. Stylistically, it's different than the other stuff that we've read. But as far as understanding, you know, the story of Beleriand up to this point, it's just kind of, it flows really well. So hats off to Christopher Tolkien and Guy Gabriel Kay for making that happen, where this fits really well just as part of the story, you know, however we define that here. So 
I'd be curious to ask Ryan, because I've only ever read this for this round, but when you read it before versus reading it now, the weight of the quest for Baron to go receive or to go capture a Silmaril, is that different this time around? Yeah. With the context of like what they even are and all the oaths and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Having so reading it on its own. Uh, you understand that the Silmarils are something that are, that are coveted, that are desired, and that they're they're a big deal. Yeah. Um, but especially when you get into the talk about how sending Baron on this quest uh, basically act, it activates the cur- the doom of Mandos, if mm-hmm. I remember right, or whatever is that right? Right phrasing. Yeah. But it's like, oh, you've done this, but in doing so, you have just doomed us uh, with this. Like that. That has very little context if you just read the story on its own. Mm-hmm. But coming from the read through this way, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of that and their and their oath to uh, not allow anyone else to have a Silmaril, that's this is now a problem. I get why this is a problem in the future. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I think that I had the exact same thought as I was reading through. Uh, where I've read this book well over a dozen times. I don't know how many times, maybe a couple dozen. Um, and yeah, every time something else kind of hits you a little bit different and that was one this time where mm-hmm. it was i i didn't understand that line or i didn't pay attention to it sometimes you just let things wash over you uh and this one it's like just by even by mentioning the silmarils you're you're screwed right mm-hmm. yeah like don't don't talk about them don't think about them don't look for them because once you do you're in this web you like you are part of the story and spoiler alert this isn't really a story you want to be a part of that badly. <laughs> well, and it's pretty clear that Baron doesn't really understand all of that history either, right? Because right? it's like, go get a Silmaril. And basically he's kind of like, oh, that's all? Yeah, sure, I'll go do that. <laughs> you know, yeah. This, I love I love that moment. Okay, so let's paint the picture. So uh, Baron is discovered. He has pierced the girdle of Melian, which is, I just love that phrase for mm. obvious reasons. It's hilarious. Um, but he's now he's in the woods and in the forbidden woods and, um, his, you know, doom fate has driven him there and falls in love with Luthien and, and, uh, is then taken before Thingol. So he's captured, taken before Thingol and he tells Thingol, yeah, I want to marry your daughter. And this is not okay. This is not a thing that happens. She is not just a princess, but she's the most beautiful elf who has ever lived and she's, uh, you know, the daughter of the most arguably, arguably the most powerful king in Middle Earth and an elf to boot. And he's a human. And, you know, that, like this is not done. And so when he says, um, Thingle, he had already sworn an oath not to kill Baron. And mm-hmm. he says, if I hadn't done that, you would be dead just for saying I want to marry your daughter, which... Again, we can get into what kind of person Thingol is, but okay, that's fine. Didn't Luthien make him swear that before? Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, smart daughter, like, no, my dad's going to kill you. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, Daddy. So so he... Daddy, uh, I love him. (laughs) We'll get into the Disney princess stuff in a little Mm -hmm. while. But anyway, um, (laughs) so he... uh, So he's sworn the oath not to kill him. He doesn't kill him, but he says, okay, fine. You want to marry my daughter? You have to do something commensurate with that you need to bring me back a Silmaril in your hand. Um, and when, and, and so that's when Baron says, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember the exact phrasing here. It's, uh, you know, for little price, yeah. do, do kings sell their daughters, basically. Mm-hmm. He's like, 
whatever, fine, yeah. I'll go do it. And I, I love that line, not because, I, I think that's a totally fair reading that he doesn't know what the Silmarils are or doesn't fully comprehend what what he's being asked to do. But the way I've always read it has been more like, um, this is how he is showing how much he actually loves sure. Luthien and how much he wants to be with her. Um, and a really great just middle finger to this guy who is treating him in this way. You know, you can imagine he's been an outlaw living in these horrific mountains that are orc infested and, and you know, he's living by this lake with the dozen other men mm-hmm. for years. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, he makes it into, uh, into Thingol's realm and he's haggard and wild and, you know, unkempt, I'm sure. And, uh, and he's just like, you know what? I've, I've been through too much and you're not going to intimidate me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, yeah, I'll give you, I'll, I'll show you where you can put a Silmaril, you know, <laughs> kind of a thing. Anyway, yeah, I, I love that moment. So, okay, so from that beginning of the story, any other standout moments? Do you guys want to talk about the outlaws at all? Uh, did that, did that scene uh, leave any impact for you? Or should we move on to Baron and Luthien? I don't remember enough to... Yeah. So no, the answer is no. no. Yeah, yeah. No. Uh, Although I will say, uh, just real quick before we move on from the outlaws, this is... So um, it's Baron, son of Barahir. Okay, so Barahir was the leader of those outlaws that lived in the woods. They were being hunted down by Sauron. Do you remember... Uh, so uh, one of the companions, one of those 12 companions, I think his name is Gorlim, um, he, he's tricked by Sauron, who shows him a vision of his wife. And so he and mm-hmm. he's his wife it's was taken me, or yeah, killed. You know? Tell me where they are or whatever, and I'll I'll free your wife or I'll, you, right. you can save your you wife. Can, you and, can join your wife. Yeah. Um. And that and so it was all a trick, and he Sauron kills She's him. Been dead all along. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Everyone. <laughs> anytime you talk to about if if they ever offer you what you deserve or <laughs> what you, you actually want, you you just know you're gonna die. Like, come on. It's a uh, yeah. Uh, it's, Okay, tangent time. We'll get back to the outlaws in a second. But uh, <laughs> what was it? I was when I had first learned how to drive. I just got my driver's license, and it was a rainy day, and I had a a very uh, a pickup truck with a very large engine, and I go go to get on the freeway, and I hit the gas a little too hard, start hydroplaning across the freeway, and um, my girlfriend was sitting in the seat next to me, and she's screaming, and we're weaving across the the highway, and and it was fine, you know. I I fishtailed a couple of times, and then I got back on course, and we and we went. Um, and she was like, it, it, and literally, I'd been driving for a couple weeks, you know, with my license on my own. She goes, "How did you do? How did you know how to do? Because I'm turning the, I'm expert, you know, turning the wheels and whatnot." She goes, "How did you know how to do that?" And I said, "Video games." <laughs> for real like i i knew which way to turn the wheel because i'd played so many video games and i kind of you know like instinct took over right muscle memory yeah this is going to be perfect if i'm ever in some kind of a hostage situation yeah. like ryan is talking about where it's like i've read so many stories i know exactly how this goes and my instinct will take over and no i will not and you'll grow uh, your hair out and you'll escape from the tower that's right that's what, what do you think i'm doing right exactly. now exactly yeah yeah okay. Something's got to get me out of this studio. This hair is the only thing. Uh, Okay, anyway, where was I? The outlaws. Oh, yeah. No, the reason I bring this up. Okay, so Baron, son of Barahir. Barahir uh, was a friend of Finrod Felagund. Uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, who we will get to know more, uh, or uh, yeah, throughout this story. Uh, but Finrod gave Barahir a ring as a token of friendship. Um, and that ring was a, you know, a twin headed serpent and, uh, you know, with yeah. two green jewels over the, the eyes or, you know, whatever it was. I can't remember, uh, you know, under a golden crown, that ring is the same ring that Aragorn wears in the Lord of the Rings. So the, so if you watch the extended edition of the Lord of the Rings, there's a little uh, bit where Saruman is looking over a, a book of lore and he recognizes the ring that, you know, that Aragorn is wearing. Oh my, it's the ring of Barahir. here. That's, mm. that's that guy. It goes way, way back. That ring is thousands and thousands of years old. So anyway, yeah, I, I like little tidbits like that. Okay. But now I need to go watch the extended editions. Yeah. Poor you. <laughs> Never have, so Really? Yeah. Whoa. I know that's I wow, just I, I just really know that. a whole bunch of people. I was not expecting a bomb to be dropped. <laughs> Ryan's right? been a fraud this whole time. <laughs> yeah. Oh my yep. gosh. Multiple times the theatrical cuts. I've started the extended editions, but I've never finished them. I've never even finished fellowship. So This this will be relevant. Actually, this this may uh take us into our next section of the story, but uh did you ever watch the uh special features? Yeah, I watched on them. the extended editions. I well, I've watched a lot of some of the special features on different things, but I don't know if I've watched whatever you're referencing. <laughs> right, right. Um, you should. The so when the extended editions first came out, you know, way back twenty years ago, um, they were four disc DVD sets, mm-hmm. two discs for the movie and two discs just for special features. Mm-hmm. And if you watch those six discs, <laughs> excuse me, I'm still suffering from last week. This is why we're late with this episode because everybody was sick. Um, if you watch those four discs, it is, or six discs, it's film school, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, not really, but you get a ton of really, really good insight into their story or how they how they crafted their movie. Um, but the reason I bring it up is because, um, well, because you're a monster for not having seen them, uh, <laughs> but also because there's a great moment where they're describing... Um, Ronald and Edith and their romance. They just mm-hmm. spend a little bit of time on it. But one of the people in the documentary is saying, like, yeah, there's, you know, it's a really nice moment where um, Edith and Ronald went to the woods and she sang for him and she danced for him. And it was this very like personal, intimate memory that he cherished about his wife, Edith. Um, and that is what he put into his story where Baron and Luthien meet in the woods she sings and she dances and he falls in love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really a nice moment. Um, it's one of the more well-known pieces of Tolkien trivia, but just in case you guys don't know about this, um, if you go visit Tolkien's gravestone in England, um, he and his wife are buried next to each other and he, uh, his gravestone is marked with the name Baron and her side of it is Luthien mm-hmm. um, inscribed on their, their headstone. So... Yeah. You know. Anyway, so this is uh, an extremely intensely personal story for for Tolkien. So, and I'm I'm just curious. I feel like we've talked about this before. Doesn't Aragorn and um, shoot, Arwen. Arwen. Arwen's relationship mirror Baron and Luthien's? Mm-hmm. Like it's specifically meant to be a callback to this relationship. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. As I I abandoned my uh, recap, but that was one of the things I was trying to work out how to write out in a recap was that this is the 
among the most well-known stories of Middle Earth, even for people who have never read it, mm-hmm. because it is the story of Aragorn and Arwen. Yeah. You know, so closely tracked. So yeah, in, in Aragorn's case, it was he went to Elrond and was like, hey, I want to marry your daughter. And El- Elrond was like, first of all, you're cousins. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. You're 37th cousins, but still. Um, but no, he says, yeah, if you want to be only the king of Gondor can marry my daughter, you know, so unite the kingdoms, the king of Gondor and Arnor, you hold the scepter, wear the crown and I'll consider it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that is, so Aragorn, Bring his, me a his quest is in some measure, uh, the quest to win the hand of Arwen. Mm-hmm. So very similarly. So curious how you feel. This is a little bit of a tangent, but how do you feel that quest versus the quest to bring Thingol a Silmaril? Um, the the like the the magnitude of the task when we're saying Baron's task versus Aragorn's task. Do you feel like they're equal? What do you think? I'm asking you. <laughs> I'm I'm asking the questions here. I know. I just uh, I, I have to. If I talk through this entire episode, my throat is going to be on fire. Um, I don't have. I probably don't have the same level of background understanding, like how difficult that is for Aragorn, and like what the state of the kingdoms being divided mm-hmm. and and not having a king for so long, like what that actually means. Right. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Like. I can assume, uh, but I'm I'm not as familiar with either story to be able to say how weighty they are. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, it's it, they're not they're not copies. These stories sure. are not copies. Uh, they're parallels, and so it's it's not a perfect one to one. And in fact, you could uh, well, I guess let's lay the groundwork. What are the the similarities and differences? We've got Morgoth and we've got Sauron, you know, in Aragorn's time. And I mean, Sauron makes his appearance is in yeah. this story as well. Uh, he's kind of a badass in these stories. I love it. Uh, but in the Lord of the Rings, he's definitely in that Morgoth role. And you imagine, um, so Baron has to sneak into Morgoth's uh, realm, into his his throne room, basically, and pry a Silmaril off of the uh, the crown this would be tantamount to Aragorn sneaking into uh, Barad-dûr, the, the Black Tower, and Mordor. Like, this is, it, that's an impossible task. It can't be done. Mm. Well, that should actually shed some light if we shift our, our view a little bit, shed some light on how insane Frodo's quest is. Mm-hmm. This is suicide. This, this is what are we thinking? This is so mm-hmm. dumb. How, you know, how can we expect somebody to do that? Um, but it, and one of the differences then is okay. So Aragorn has his task, which is to unite the kingdoms and uh, defeat Sauron, restore the you know the the rightful monarchy, you know whatever. Um, and what what was I going to say? Uh, it is it's very difficult, but it's not the same kind of impossible as mm-hmm. what Baron was asked to do. It's also asked of him in earnest, whereas Baron's quest was given to him sarcastically, right? Yeah, I, I don't expect you to survive this. I don't expect this to be the case. Right. Where... I, I swore an oath to my daughter not to kill you, so I'll let Morgoth do it. 
Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the orcs that'll almost certainly get you on your way, which yeah. they do, right? Um, so, yeah, I think there's... Uh, it's Aragorn's quest, not not because of any difference in, you know, his heart or Baron's heart necessarily, but just the setup of the quest is more, um, like, fundamentally righteous mm-hmm. than Baron's. But is it any more actually attainable? Um, yeah, I'd I would be, say so. Yeah, I'd be curious. Discord conversation around that yeah listeners what do you think do your thing yeah was it easier for baron to still a silmaril or aragorn to kill sauron and unite the kingdoms Oof. well he his task wasn't to kill sauron but yeah no essentially. it's a, yeah, yeah the question essentially remains. you don't you unite gondor and bring the kingdoms back to where they are unless it's not necessarily that Aragorn has to kill Sauron, but in order to be able to accomplish his task, Sauron has to be disposed of in some way. Right. 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 It looked like you were about to say something else. Uh, My only thought on that was just the level of support that they have. And it's like, as Aragorn is able to gather people to his cause more so, he has more support in what he's doing. Whereas Baron, it was pretty much, you got to go and Luthien's like, no, I got to go save my boyfriend. All right. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Like there's, there's a level of difficulty to be had there too. And just, Although you're on your own, I think is so. We are going to read um, it, the the very last chapter or the very last part of the Silmarillion is the of the Rings of Power in the Third Age, mm-hmm. and that will sketch out the story of the Lord of the Rings. Um, and I wonder if um, if that would make it sound more like Baron's story in that respect. Mm-hmm. where it's like hey you know you're the the last surviving heir and you have yeah you've got a support system but you like you have to activate that support system and you have to like work to cultivate it and all that stuff we get the same thing with baron it's just more sketched out yeah where it's like oh no he's it, because of the ring that he's carrying he's able to activate a support system in uh nargothrond with finrod mm-hmm. um and you know so he's able to gather these people that you know in a in a similar it again it's like what, what was that george lucas it, it echoes it's like poetry it rhymes <laughs> right um so it's not the same thing but anyway i yeah i wonder about that because they both did have a support system but baron i guess does feel more lonely mm-hmm. than aragorn does so yeah it's a good question good question um do you guys want a word of the day yes 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 says ryan yes please uh okay word of the day is perforce okay so then suddenly she eluded his sight um and out of the shadows began a song of such surpassing loveliness of and of such blinding power that he listened perforce and a blindness came upon him and his eyes roamed to and fro seeking her okay so he listened perforce you guys know this one mm-hmm. um yeah necessarily or like of necessity he had no choice. It was force. He was forced to listen to it. So perforce, just substitute in necessarily and then make it twice as strong. And there you have perforce. I feel like I should have been able to figure that out just by breaking the word. Yeah. Down, but. Context clues gives that one away a little bit. But right. yeah, it's one of those ones. That, yeah, yeah, it's obvious once you know it. But perforce also sounds like a kids superhero tv show thing like per force like it's like a bunch of, bunch of kids in cat costumes yeah the per force per force yeah I, I think we just stumbled across something ryan We've that's our million dollar idea <laughs> netflix we got a pitch <laughs> <Here> we <go. laughs> uh 
and then Netflix would call us something that rhymes with pitch and tells us <laughs> to go away. You know? um, all right. So should we, do you guys have any other points that you want to bring up from this chapter before we get to listener questions? I know we haven't like covered most of the actual story up to this point, but I think we may, as we go through some listener questions and talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. I, I just want to take half a second to uh, talk about Baron's reveal of the, of his, of his hand holding the silver. Oh yeah. <laughs> because it's like, you need to bring me a silver on your hand. Well, I've got one, but it's in the belly of a, <laughs> a creature over here. Yeah. Like this, this whole thing, like he gives him the, he opens so up that, the empty hand and then he's like, boom, it's in the one that's over. To, so, to give some context, yeah. the, the actual, the challenge, the quest, um, his Thingle says, you can marry my daughter if, uh, when, like return to me with a Silmaril in your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can marry my daughter. And so, and that's, yeah, uh, the, the hand gets bitten off by Karkaroth, who we'll talk about more. Um, <laughs> the hand gets bitten off by Karkaroth and the giant dog and it poisons Baron and, you know, Luthien has to kind of tend to him and bring him back to life, whatever, but he's missing his hand. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's a very, it's, it's a great moment, right? I just when thought he, was... he says, he's, he basically says, even now my hand holds a Silmaril yeah. to Thingle. I just thought it was like it's it's a great way for him to give a another middle finger to Tingle in this one. Just the only one he has yeah, left. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, there we've made a, some jokes a few times. I think through this series of podcasts, and maybe especially in the last episode about how metal the Silmarillion is. Yeah, and this is peak. Whoa! potentially peak Silmarillion metal uh, this chapter moments like that names like Karkaroth uh, what, what was the other one there was another on uh, Fauglier um, mm. which is another name for Karkaroth let me see if I can pull up my my little note here Karkaroth the Red Maw is the name of that uh, that and what, it was Grand, crazy wolf the, what, Hammer of the Underworld Hammer of the Underworld yeah um, Karkaroth the Red Maw he is named in the tales of those days and on Fauglier the jaws of thirst mm. it's like dude get out of here you're 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 writing metal albums for people at this point yeah. like they don't even need even need to do any work um such such great stuff um okay maybe we'll get to some more metal stuff but uh, anything else you guys want to talk about no yeah, yeah not with that now i'm just off on this whole christopher lee heavy metal thing in my head and, oh man you know what and the connection to tolkien and stuff like that yeah. was there anything cringier <laughs> well it, it kind of goes in the same category in my head as um uh as uh william shatner mm-hmm. doing like rocket man or whatever uh, where it's just it's kind of fun and i'm glad that it exists in the world but i don't want to listen to it <laughs> not not my thing you're not going to buy a copy of the golden throat cd that has celebrities singing that shouldn't be singing what is this a thing it's a thing the golden throat golden throats Um, go find it again but yeah it's it's a thing it has uh and william shatner's on there i think leonard nimoy actually has a song on there of course he's got his bilbo song is great i i still love that to this day again you know i'm glad it exists happy it's in this (laughs) world not on any of my spotify playlists i'll tell you that go look it up um as long as we're on the subject uh i know we've talked about this a lot of times in past episodes but uh the lord of the rings musical 
yeah. is actually quite good. Yeah. Uh, I'm not not a big musical guy myself. Ryan, you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's one that I think we can agree on. Yeah. It's at least listening to it. I don't know how the production was. I never got to see it, but the music's pretty good. I'd love for that to get a revival, but we'll see. Yeah, if somebody listening can make it happen, I'm sure. We have we have many high and powerful listeners. Mostly high. Um, all right, <laughs> let's get to some listener questions. Uh, well, here's one from Felicity. Speaking of music, actually, this is a great segue. Thank you, Felicity. What kind of music do you imagine or wish Luthien sung to throw down the gates? I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking yeah. singing We Will Rock You or just good old rock in general uh, would have been pretty awesome, but not quite fitting in the Tolkien tone of things. Uh, okay, so this is when uh, Baron has, he went to Nargothrond, found Finrod, um, got his help. There's a whole, there's a whole episode of uh, betrayal and politics and whatnot that goes on in Nargothrond for a page or two. And then Baron, Finrod, and 12 companion elves go out on this quest. They're captured by Sauron on his like island of misfit terrors or whatever it's called. Yeah. I don't know. Um and they're thrown in a pit, and Luthien, she does her her uh, uh, Rapunzel thing and escapes from a tower. We haven't even gotten to that. Mm-hmm. This this story has so much stuff going oh, yeah. on; it's just crazy. Um, and she goes to the island to save them, and sings Sauron's gates down. And she didn't even need a bunch of you know Old Testament people to get or you know go around the city and yeah. blow trumpets. She just sings it down, right? Uh, it's a great little moment. So what was she singing? Right now, I currently have a visual of her just slow walking up to it while we hear the opening bars of Eminem's Lose Yourself. <laughs> <laughs> she just walks up oh, there. Oh, no. Oh, no. Mom's no. sweaty. Mom's spaghetti. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> We've ruined it for Craig now. This, it, it's the, the, here's the problem with that. The problem... <laughs> I mean, other than it's making Ryan cry. You you make uh, yourself laugh so hard you cry. I, I just feel the, like... The biggest problem with this image is that it's kind of perfect. <laughs> and I hate that. See, I, I imagine the most beautiful elf ever to exist just walks up there with like Tibetan monk throat singing. Yes. Like, <laughs> okay, first of all, that was kind of an interesting sound you both produced. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, am so, I? Yeah. <laughs> you are. <laughs> uh, no, it's a it's a fun question. Actually, that's another one. So everybody hit Discord. the The problem with the Discord, and this is my challenge for everybody, is to not get like address more than one thing. <laughs> Usually, we'll have one thing from an episode, and people will comment on that one thing for a day, and then it gets forgotten. I want to hear a couple of things now. We've had the one that Kyle called for earlier. Mm-hmm. This is the one I'm calling for. What was Luthien singing um, to throw down the gates? on the Isle of Misfit Nightmares, or whatever I called it. <laughs> Fat Bottom Girls by Queen. <laughs> <laughs> you make the rock and walls come down. Yep, exactly. Yeah. All right. So here's one from D. It just says D. I think this is D. Pultz, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but once again, several questions from D. Uh, okay, let's actually, let's talk about Luthien, because D says, of the two, Luthien is arguably the more active character. Uh, she saves Baron's life twice. She strikes me as a very good example of an active female protagonist in this kind of story, but I rarely see much praise for her. Um, on that last point, I would say you probably just, you know, 
reading the wrong things or talking to the wrong people because I think Luthien gets a lot of credit from people who read the story. Well, what did you guys think of that? Well, let's let's maybe use this question to back up and say, okay, there's a lot of fairy tale tropes. There's the obvious Rapunzel reference. Um, this would be a great example of Tolkien really enjoying this back formation that we've talked about before where he likes to imagine um, a source, a piece of source material for some you know, more modern legend. And so you take the story of Rapunzel. And he's like, how could that have come to be through um you know through my stories and so he puts her in a tower she grows her hair whatever mm -hmm. um so you get a lot of fairy tale tropes like that you get a lot of mythological uh nods uh orpheus and eurydice i think we'll maybe talk about a little bit more but in this story she is a more active uh participant and the the quest couldn't have been achieved without her um i don't know did, did you guys did you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I, I want your get break out your feminism, boys. Let's uh, let's hear <laughs> what you have to say on the subject. It's not that dissimilar from what we discussed in the the Perdane Chronicles episodes when we were talking about Elanwy mm -hmm. and how like like Luthien is ultimately quote unquote the prize, but she I also not some prize, but she also won. does all the work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think in those episodes we were just talking about how um, it's a product of, like you said, some of these fairy tale tropes and and the time in which they were written. Um, but the strong female character is actually the one who brings all of our other protagonists <laughs> through to the end and and accomplishes the goal. Right. Um. And yeah, and it's I I like that she and Baron are intertwined. Um, not just that they're in love, but that they they truly depend on each other. Um, at, at least they they come to realize, or he comes to realize that. Mm -hmm. You know, he is definitely trying to be the strong male stereotype. He's trying to sneak off in the middle of the night to protect her. You know, I will go fulfill the quest and I, you know, you stay safe or whatever. Um, but as the story makes clear, they their fates uh even their actions are interwoven and they can't uh they can't get what they want they can't accomplish what they need to without each other um you know she uh, well no, i don't know i don't know where my thoughts are going with that but um but yeah it's it's kind of a nice way of doing it it's you know she couldn't have accomplished the quest by herself either necessarily i don't know maybe <laughs> maybe she, she might have if she could have gotten that knife you know he's got the knife that they cut the the silmaril out right. with she did um, need she did need juan though oh that's true because yeah. he had to rescue her from when she was imprisoned or whatever right, right? and i thought that was really interesting because that was the first time he spoke and his whole prophecy of mm -hmm. only being able to speak three times and he chose to speak to luthien to let her know of his plan to to basically get her out anyways so yeah. yeah i think you're right i don't know i don't know that she could have accomplished it on her own because she did have help along the way mm -hmm. but ultimately i think in the larger like zoomed out look at it she's like again she's the one that accomplishes the end goal right yeah no she says she's not She's not incidental to the story. Right. She, this, it's of Baron and Luthien for a reason. Mm -hmm. We are going to get to a story called Of Turin Turambar. And that one is very different. 
Uh, very, very, very different. And there's a reason that there's nobody else's name in that story. But, you know, it's kind of an interesting angle that we might want to try to remember when we get to that one. Um, here's one for you. Uh, this one, another one from D. When Baron gained the Silmaril, it did not seem to burn him. Since he is mortal, shouldn't it have harmed him? Now, let me also bring that in with uh, a few other questions from... Let's see. Okay, so these ones are from Mark Quillen. Uh, regarding Luthien changing her shape, it seems fitting for her, along with the amazing power of her voice, because she is half Maya. However, I was surprised that it seemed to be something Finrod could do also. You know, what? what's the deal? What, what are the rules here? Mark Quillen also says, um, uh, this part of the Silmarillion gets a bit more into fairy tale motifs. Is that as much explanation or justification as we can expect for the rules like that Juan could only speak three separate times. Um, you know, like what, why can he only speak three times? Is this who's giving him this gift and why? And you know, how does this all work? And so I bring that back to the, uh, the original question I said, which is why does the Silmaril not seem to burn Baron? And the answer I would give in all these cases is that, uh, look, we're trying to impose our, understanding of how magic and how fantasy works on this fairy tale version that Tolkien is writing. He wasn't interested in a hard magic system mm-hmm. where you got an explanation. Remind me, remind me of an example where we see a Silmaril burn somebody. Did we see Morgoth. that before? Morgoth. Morgoth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It burns Morgoth. So I think the implication, if anything, the implication is, hey, if you're impure, if you're unworthy, mm-hmm. then you can't abide the touch of the Silmarils. Uh, but if you are, if you're Galahad, then, you know, go yeah. ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I think that's as far as we can really take it though I don't we don't get rules for this I don't know if you guys heard the episode that we aired last week because uh, you know the th- all three of us got sick mm-hmm. it was weird um, so I aired the episode that uh, that we did with a critical dragon it was me and Drew from inking out loud and, and a critical dragon and he talked about how RPGs like um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons etc how they influenced fantasy and you know how they kind of created the rules for video games which then in turn you know interwove with written works and how magic systems kind of came into being when you have a dice mm-hmm. or a set of dice and you have rules and you you uh, you know you have to set up a magic system to make it work that is not how this story goes mm-hmm. so why are they able to shapeshift because it's a fairy tale uh, you know and it's just part of the story as, you know, as it's been handed down. We don't know what the mechanics are or who is able to and who doesn't. You just kind of have to go along with it. I don't know. Is there a better explanation? I have a question. Maybe this will be a tangent of its own. Maybe we've covered it in previous episodes, but a magic system with a clearly defined like rule set in like within that world, I guess, would you define that as actual magic or would you define that as science? I guess it really depends on the context of the world. I mean, you, you read uh, the Stormlight Archive and it sure gets awfully scientific feeling as the books go on. Mm-hmm. But, um, also, but it is I'm still also, a magic yeah, system. Yeah, I'm also thinking within like King Killer and Alamancy and all that kind of mm-hmm. or like or uh, what's it Mistborn. called? Mis- Mistborn's Alamancy, but King Killer's, uh, what's it called? Oh, who cares? Anyways, but they're very scientific, right? The way that they put those together. Right. And so we're calling them magic systems, but in my mind, 
I always think that magic, it's kind of the whole thing that like Thor says in that, in, in the movie where it's like magic is just science we haven't defined yet or whatever. Um, like I we mean, don't understand it. Is it? You say Thor, I say Arthur C. Clarke. Well, sure. But like that's where my mind goes. <laughs> sure. I'm sure it's pulled from Arthur C. Clarke. <laughs> but that's my, that's my, uh, my thought is like, if it's so well defined that there has to be rules and X happens because of Y, we don't know why they can shapeshift. They just can. And to me, that's more fairy tale magic. And if we have all of the rules and it's more mathematical or whatever, mm-hmm. it's scientific. And anyways, it's not super well articulated, but no, that's the difference in my mind is like, if there's so much defined about it that we can say this happens when this, and this doesn't happen when that, uh, it feels more scientific than actually right. magic. Yeah. You can say in a lot of ways and, and, I, gosh, forgive me. I, we talked a long time with a critical dragon you know, last, last week. And so I don't remember what we said on mic and off mic. And so I, I can't remember if it was in the episode, but basically, uh, Sanderson's stories, for instance, and many others like it. I mean, this is kind of the whole fantasy genre today is largely, um, or often I should say about magic it's it, the magic drives the story you know you think of sanderson's laws you know i got to come up with the magic system and i need to understand the rules i need to understand the limitations because that is going to set up my story how are the characters going to work with or through or around the magic and the rules that i've set up and it creates some really cool stories for us to read um but in that in that case the story is about the magic in some large measure uh, whereas in Tolkien, it's the magic is incidental. Mm-hmm. It's a world in which magic exists. Just take that for a given and enjoy it. Now, let's talk about the characters and the quest that they go on and the love that they share and the companions that they lose along the way. And, you know, like, that's what the story is about. Not the magic, I guess. I, that's mm-hmm. that's the best I can come up with for articulating my thoughts on that. Yeah. Ryan, any other thoughts? I just assume they have a high enough intelligence and faith attribute score. So <laughs> we're good. Nice. Nice. Well done. Um, okay. So Sir Ravis. Sir Ravis, uh, I can't tell if he's trolling me. I, I really can't. But mm-hmm. here's a question from Sir Ravis. We get a mention of Celebrimbor, son of Kurufin. Mm-hmm. Doesn't he show up in the Shadow of War games? Yes. Yes, he does. Okay. So I... I literally couldn't tell if this is a troll um, because like it's the curse of knowing Middle Earth a little bit too well Mm -hmm. where I'm like, well, duh, you don't know who Celebrimbor is like it, 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 the way, the way he worded it. And I don't mean to pick on Seravis. I'm just, this is more about me than anything else. Right. But as I was reading, it's like, I literally can't tell if you're just trying to like get a rise out of me. Like, isn't he from the shadow of war games? Eh, eh, eh. Uh, but yeah, Ryan. No, I do. Who is Celebrimbor? Uh, it's been a while since I've played those, uh, but if I remember, Celebrimbor is the uh, Elven Smith who helped forge the the rings, and yeah. he's the one who merges with your hero to give him his abilities, basically. <laughs> right. The, oh man, let's just. It, I I it's I, I could game, but I couldn't finish the second game. I like I didn't grab my attention i love the first game though but let's whatever you do do not consider it canon but and just have fun with it it's okay it's okay for a game to exist that isn't canon that's fine so 
everybody calm down. I can hear blood boiling already <laughs> about the Shadow of Mordor, Shadow of War games. Um, but uh, yeah, Celebrimbor, we're going to read more about him in that final act of the, the mm-hmm. Third Age and the Rings of Power. Yeah, he's the, the smith who creates the Elven Rings, etc. Uh, so yeah, um, doesn't he show up in the Shadow of War games? Yes, he does. Okay, there you go, Saravis. I, I, I have no idea how to take that question, but there we are. Lady Sweden asks, is it worth it? Okay, I got to turn around and grab this. Is it worth it to read the separate book, Baron and Luthien? Um, this, oh, this question is for me, as, as she assumes others haven't read it. I assume you guys have not, you didn't like get so taken with the story that you went out and bought the, uh, I might. No, I just got the tattoo really? on my lower back. I mean, back. I like the story. Ryan, can we see your tattoo? Yeah. Your lower yeah. back lower back Karkaroth <laughs> tattoo? Yes. Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> Kyle, did you like He's this? Ta- uh, Ryan doesn't have a lower back tattoo because you don't put a bumper sticker on a Bentley, as Kim Kardashian would say. <laughs> did she say that? Yeah. Wow. When somebody asked her why she doesn't have a like a back tattoo or whatever, she, or any tattoo, she said you don't put a bumper sticker on a Bentley. This is why people listen to this show, okay? Exactly. For nuggets of You're a Bentley, Ryan, pop, is culture, what I'm saying. pop culture Thank wisdom. You. I appreciate that. I was going a little more like a Nissan Sentra, which you do cover with the bumper stickers. Well, though. you know. I think, uh, yeah, Ryan still says uh, Reagan Bush 84 <laughs> on, on his uh, back bumper. Um, okay, so where was I? <laughs> That's the tattoo on my left butt cheek. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, Lady Sweden. Oh, yeah, is it worth it to read the separate book? Okay, so... Since, uh, what, 10 years ago, 15 years ago or so, there have been some of these individual stories in the Silmarillion that uh, Christopher Tolkien uh, and others, you know, assisting him, I'm sure, have pulled out and they've gathered more notes, um, largely stuff that you can read in uh, the history for Middle Earth, and they kind of compile it into a single volume. So you get uh, something like this uh, this individual volume, Baron and Luthien. Um, Kyle, you surprise me did you like this book enough that you would consider getting something like that a standalone yeah, version absolutely okay yeah i enjoyed it i thought it was really like i mean we covered it earlier but there was just a lot of there's a lot of interesting characters um there's a lot of cool twists and turns and it, it's just it it encompasses a lot of what we've been reading about throughout the whole silmarillion like I don't know. I just, I, I like the idea of the werewolves. I love the wolfhound. I love mm-hmm. the story and like the love angle. Like, I don't know. I just, it's, it's worth having in my collection, I think is what I come out of All right. this yeah. with. Yeah. Fair enough. How does its writing compare to what is actually in the Silmarillion? So yeah. This, and this is why, uh, this is why I think she asked about that and why it's a really good question. The question is, is it worth it to read the separate book, Baron and Luthien? My answer to that would be, and I'm getting to what you just said, Ryan, but my answer to that would be uh, if you love, and I mean love this chapter, then yes. If you like this chapter, if you enjoy reading this chapter and that's about as far as it goes, then don't bother. And I, I say that with no, you know, uh, you know, no rancor at all. Don't bother. It's uh, because what you have here in the the standalone Baron and Luthien is the notes on it, this is like the special features of Baron and Luthien. <laughs> notes on how it was written, different versions of it. Um, Christopher Tolkien kind of takes you through the evolution of the story um, in different versions, um, and he 
uh, so it, and he makes it very interesting to read if again if you are interested in that sort of thing if that doesn't sound like it would grab your attention and you're just getting it for you know something to put on your shelf i decide whether that's worth it i guess <laughs> but, but you know does that make sense there's um it, there's an unfinished poem that he excerpts a couple of times in that standalone book. You can get the whole thing, or at least as much as Tolkien wrote in volume three of the history of Middle Earth. It's called The Lays of Beleriand. And um, Baird and Luthien, I think the phrase is even in the Silmarillion version, The Lay of Lathian, mm-hmm. like the story as told in The Lay of Lathian. That is a poem that he wrote that was like three or 4,000 lines long. Um, and he wrote the whole thing in rhyming couplets. And it's the story of Baron Luthien in poetry form. And so, you know, things like that, where you get excerpts from that, you get excerpts from previous versions and, and whatnot, all in that. So yep. think of it as the special features, and maybe that will help guide your decision of yep. whether it's worth it. That's actually probably one of the reasons I would want it. Um, having a English literature background and reading all of the old poetry and things like that. I think it's just, like I said, it's, it's a fun thing to have in the collection. So, um, all right. So, yeah, let's go on to another question. This one from Jesse L., uh, who says, "I see Morgoth's lust for Luthien as having a sexual overtone, and that carries over into her dance, trying to distract Morgoth." Um, the Lay of Luthien itself and the separate book Baron and Luthien fleshes the story out a lot more, and it's just great reading. Okay, so I think that's a maybe a separate part of that but anyway um yes definite sexual overtones mm-hmm. but tolkien being you know kind of a, a leftover of the victorian era era in some ways uh wasn't gonna make that super explicit in his stories mm-hmm. so you know he just says yeah morgoth was a lusty dude and she was very pretty and make of that what you will and yeah that's just, i think about as far as i've you know Mm-hmm. take that or think about it right any anything else no on that one this there have been multiple times that i have thought of the story of aladdin while we've been talking about this okay yeah. all right specifically the, tell me more about why you're such a racist uh the disney cartoon specifically um i can hear baron singing street rat you know to <laughs> to him and is her- that the story or is is it one of Jasmine's songs, she's singing a, a whole new world to bring down the, the gates. Maybe of, it's that. And then, you know, at the end, Luthien has to uh, uh, confuse Jafar for a minute to allow Aladdin what he needs to do. Wow. Okay. That's, All I, right. I'm just, I'm drawing some connections here. That's just, that's what I do. <laughs> to Disney specifically. Yeah. Uh, and that, that sound you hear, by the way, that thump, 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 thump sound is Tolkien rolling over and over and over <laughs> in his grave. So... Yeah, put a few congratulations. Uh, a few uh, coils around his grave. We can start generating some energy off of my takes. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, what the hell were we talking about? <laughs> you made a mistake and threw to me. Oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> I learned my lesson. Sexual overtones. Sexual overtones. They're pretty, yeah. They're, oh, you yeah, know, I was going to say, um, it's kind of, it, I think we even talked about the word lust um, in a previous episode. Uh, my memory is shot. We've, you know, after you do 400 of these uh, legendarium yeah. episodes, you kind of forget what you said when. But I think we talked about lust in these earlier Silmarillion episodes where it doesn't necessarily mean uh, sexual lust, but it can. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think in this case of, you know, Morgoth and Luthien, then yeah, he's a lusty dude in that way. But um, I think that's actually a really great word to describe him overall, to describe Morgoth. If you had to choose one word, I think a strong candidate would be lusty. Yeah. Um, and it's not just the the sexual stuff, but also like he lusts after the Silmarils. He lusts after the secret fire. He lusts for power. Uh, yeah, exactly. He's a lusty dude, <laughs> right? So no, I think it's uh, I think we've stumbled across a great uh, a great little nugget there. Uh, okay, guys. Ryan, don't say it. No, don't say I it. I saw it. I, I saw won't. you laugh. No one wants to know the title of the porn parody. We're good. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> Uh, okay all right all right uh, it's and i just came up with like four and i don't want to know which one was yours um boy we're all getting a whole lot of text messages here today uh, okay another one from mark quillen um this one gets into the fairy tale stuff this story was flooded with homages to older stories starcraft lo- starcross lovers orpheus and eurydice um rapunzel uh let's see um, there, then there's the whole awesome outwit the devil story between Finrod and Sauron, which I'm not sure, but could be the first time this appeared as a musical duel. The devil went down to Georgia, came out six years later, <laughs> <laughs> just in case Tolkien needed any more credit as the father of metal. Uh, and then the question is, did I miss any? Um, the only one, uh, like right off the top of my head, the only one that, uh, that we need to put in there as well is Tolkien's own story which I already mentioned his love story with Edith yeah. is also a, a big part of this. But um, no, I think those are some of the big ones. <laughs> just in my mind, I'm just thinking like, I bet a fiddle of gold against your soul. I can take this Silmaril. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And uh, well, I feel like we're getting performances today. This is fantastic. Um, okay. So we've got a lot of influences. We talked about Rapunzel a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this, you know, as a possible, like, er story for the Rapunzel narrative, um, there's a, there are, there are more, um, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? There's more Rapunzel uh, parallels than just the tower and the hair. Um, there's also uh, Luthien healing Baron. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it, part of the Rapunzel story. Is uh, he, he's uh he's he's killed is it the witch in the story that kills him or it jeez mini christmas guys this is i'm getting so many freaking texts okay where was i um rapunzel rapunzel oh yeah no in the rapunzel story she has to heal him with her tears mm-hmm. um and okay maybe it's not quite the tears but you know luthien has to bring baron back to life anyway so there's some rapunzel stuff there Orpheus and Eurydice. Yeah. Um, there's a lot there with Orpheus has to go to the underworld to um, uh, like visit Eurydice. In this case, it's Luthien travels to. It's reversed in this case. Yeah, yeah it's a gender swapped. Not not the whole Orpheus and Eurydice thing because it's the the same kind of thing where he comes Orpheus comes across Eurydice and is smitten by her beauty and yeah. falls in love instantly. So that's not gender swapped, but some other parts are. Let's see what was the other one that uh, that he brought up. Star crossed lovers. That's a good one. Um, anyway, Romeo so and Juliet. That's uh, any other any other source material that you guys detected? Um, I think those are the big ones. No, that's of all of them though. I think that it is. If I had to like 
lay into one like this is the strongest one i would actually probably say orpheus and eurydice is probably the strongest connection of all of those stories oh yeah there, I, so. I think yeah the the rapunzel one has a few moments where it's oh my gosh that's clearly an homage mm-hmm. um but orpheus and eurydice kind of saturates this journey. whole thing yeah. doesn't it yeah no that's a good one all right guys uh oh gosh we've already gone about an hour so is there uh anything else that you two want to bring up that you want to talk about before we call it for today any parting thoughts on Baron and Luthien? And I look, I understand, dear listener, no, we didn't cover everything about Baron and Luthien. We barely touched on so many aspects of this story, but it's 23 of the densest story pages you've ever read in your life. And so it, we were never going to get to everything. And so. our tangents are always worth it, right? <laughs> Every time. We had at least 20 minutes of episode in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Something along those lines. That's why we're here. No, it's, it's so, yeah, it's, it does this let me let me ask you this as we wrap this up for you guys you said at the beginning of this that uh, that you did enjoy this you know however defined this was more uh interesting or enjoyable than some of the setup that we've gotten up to this point um does this chapter make you more interested to keep reading and find out what happens or if i tell you that yeah we're pretty much going to leave baron and luthien behind except in spirit um, does that make you go, oh, well, gosh, I like this story so much. Why would I keep reading? You know, how do you, how do you guys feel going forward now after this story? I actually would say that I'm okay moving forward because I feel like the Baron and Luthien story, the arc completed well enough that I can move on to other characters. I don't feel like there's a ton left unsaid. You, I mean, you absolutely could continue to write more out of that story. But I think moving on is perfectly fine because this quest has finished. They're love. They're together. Like it's, it's all there. It's I don't mm-hmm. need more from it. Right. Yep. I would say favorite chapter so far that we've read, and I'd agree with Ryan. Like I'm okay to move on to the next thing because to your earlier point about uh, Sam's comment, where it's all just part of one story. Mm. I mean, that's kind of what this whole collection or the whole Silmarillion is, right? So I am excited to see. Okay, what comes of uh, Finrod's passing and, you know, Baron going forward and Luthien going forward? Like, what does that, what what effect does that have within the world? Um, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm excited to see, because to your point, you said this was kind of the first of, what, three kind of more contained narratives in a similar fashion, even though they're different stories. Um, I'm excited to read those other ones, but... Yeah, definitely my favorite chapter so far within the whole of the Silmarillion. Yeah, yeah. There's um, there's one more chapter coming up. I think we have a section between the two. If I, I, I honestly, I can't remember for sure. But uh, Turin Turambar, which I mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. We, oh, you know what? Yeah, it is the next section where we're going to read two chapters uh, of the fifth battle, which is a lot of people's favorite chapter. Mm. Um, and then the story of Turin Turambar. And it's going, I'm going to be really interested to hear what you guys have to say about Turin's story after having read Baron and Luthien, um, because they are intertwined and they're, they're set up, they're, they're kind of set against each other or Turin is set up as kind of an anti-Baron story in a way. It's going to be really interesting. I, I hope you guys are looking forward to that because it's the other, I would say Turin Turambar is the other most uh 
pull out a bowl story mm-hmm. from the Silmarillion that, that you could you could pull it out and say, okay, here is a defined story with the beginning, middle, end mm-hmm. um, that's actually written out fairly um, completely. Um, but it's just wildly different. Um, that That is the other epic poem that Tolkien wrote. If people want to go check out, again, volume three of uh, the history of Middle-earth, there's the Po- the poetry version of Turin to Rambar and that one he wrote and it was even longer than Baron and Luthien I think um, and it was written in alliterative verse instead of rhyming couplets it's insane this guy was nuts <coughs> in the best way alright so look forward to that uh, I hope everybody else listening does as well we really need to cut and run because my throat is about to give out on me and I've already coughed into your ears enough today so thanks for bearing with us as we had to uh, delay this a week. I'm not sure what's going to happen with the next one because I'll be in Atlanta for JordanCon. So I don't know what we're going to do for, for that or when we're going to record that episode. But uh, we will be back on track with our schedule. Don't you ever fret, dear listener. So see you guys uh, in a week or two.